This is Boomer in the Morning with Ryan Pinder on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The penultimate hour of the program. Oh, all right. On your Tuesday. Adnan Vert coming up in the ultimate hour. A little what you want to talk about on a rainy Tuesday. Tell you what, sometimes the, uh, what do you call them, the uh, weather people? The, what do you call them? Meteorologists? Yeah, that's right. Sometimes they know what they're talking about. Meteorologists? The meat eaters. The carnivore. Bang on. It was a warning. It was a warning for a uh, serious rainfall event. I'm going to say this is bang on. This is very Vancouver January. That's the vibe here right now. Oof. Gross. A lot. It's a lot. We will go days without seeing the sun in this city. Like, never. Here we are. So now, almost at the other tippy tip of our country, this fine country that we live in, uh, the Kanata, we join our next guest. He is Stephen Brunt. And you have, you've reached your summer home, your, your oasis. How are things? I have, I have reached my destination. Yes. yes. It's a long and arduous, arduous trip, but uh, yes, I'm here across the, the international dateline and all of that. So um, it's, it's great. It's, it's beautiful here today, it's, uh, which is not always the case this time of year, I have to say. Um, but it is, it's bright and sunny, and I'm figuring out the house and where everything is and where things should be, and the dog's figuring out the yard and yeah all the all of the all of that stuff that happens when you when you come back yeah so now pinder had said i guess we've only talked to you for about 15 years on this show yeah uh yeah, about okay. the yeah. the i mean it's a very circuitous like, to get to where you're at it takes some effort you gotta want to get there. multiple modes of transportation yeah you've got to cross a body of water so let's so you are hamilton based at uh at yes. the best of times so you mm-hmm. decide, along with uh, your family unit, it's time to go to the summer home. Walk us through, kind of step by step, and I guess chronologically, time wise, how long and where this goes. Well, and this was a, a somewhat somewhat uh, unusual year because there was a mid a, a mid trip stop, so right. which kind of was built in. So I did stop in in the Gaspésie in, in eastern Quebec to go fishing for a couple of days, and uh, so that and that's halfway here, which is so I just decided I thought I might as well just keep going. Because normally I would be out, I wouldn't be out here for another two or three weeks. But right. yeah, the trip is um, well. Number one, my family does not travel with me, but like my kids are grown up, so they. But you know, my daughter's out here working this summer, and the others will show up at some point. But um, my wife and I made a, a sound marital decision some years ago that the 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 departure the departure in the car for the long drive across half the country was best accomplished by me alone. Um, in the company of the dog, we have, you know, a succession of dogs, but the, you know, whatever dog we had because, and it was better, it just, it was better for both of us. Mm. So, so she's, she flies, it's way easier flying and, um, you don't have to leave it, you know, six in the morning and have the car ready to go and all of that stuff. So it's, we, we, you know, we, we have different travel patterns, mm-hmm. you know, people, people in relationships will understand what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, so yeah, I would normally shove off at dawn with uh, a a very overloaded car and uh, and a dog. What's the dog's name? And then uh, the current dog is Maggie. All she's, right, she's a very nice dog. Maggie, let's dog. roll, let's go. Uh, yeah, and she's she freaks out because the packing's happening, and you know she thinks she might not be included, but then she gets included, and that's so she's very happy. happy. And yeah. we, 
So we, yeah, so we share various uh, fast food breakfasts along the way, and um, it's a, it's about uh, nineteen or twenty hours of driving to get to where the ferry is in Cape Breton. So we do that over a couple of days or more, depending on how you want to do it, and uh, then you roll into the ferry terminal in beautiful North Sydney, Nova Scotia, and and catch an overnight boat that that uh, sails takes about seven hours. Um, but you get a nice cabin, so you. Um, See, this is the part that kind of eluded me, and I hear I am jumping in on you because yeah, he's got to take yeah. the the overnights. What? Well, and you've had these these sailings yeah. get canceled if the if the water's not uh, good. They, they can be yeah, chaos. It's better. It's better lately. They've they've seemed to. We haven't had a like a, a, yeah one of those hurricane years where things do get a bit chaotic. But the knock on wood, like the last few years, it's been pr- pretty much as scheduled. The 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 great delight this year is the f- for the first time they are allowing pets in a, in a limited number of cabins because usually you just leave the pet in the car down on the car deck which is not probably not that much fun for them um to sit there for seven hours and wait for you to come back but this year i had the dog in the cabin with me for the first time which was interesting and uh yeah it's not you know last year was COVID's year still so like the whole trip was full of checkpoints and Every provincial border that I went, you know, into New Brunswick, into Nova Scotia, into Newfoundland, every one of them had different rules, and I had to show different papers to get through them. This year, obviously, that's all gone, and then the boat is sort of normal, and you're not locked in your cabin, and you can't move like we were last year. But yeah, so, so seven hours this this year, man, it was like glass. It was really calm. It's not always, and uh, that then you disembark at dawn in um, in Port Basque, Newfoundland, which is on the southwest corner. Um, and from there, it's about a three hour drive up to my place. Or though, if you're going to St. John's, the other side of the Island, it's about a 10 hour drive. So it's a big, you know, it's a big Island. And, uh, yeah, the goal is to get off the boat ahead of the trucks and all of the slow stuff and just, and boot it. Although the flip side of that is on the way up, uh, this is not, it's not actually a joking matter, but on the way up in broad daylight on a nice sunny morning, somebody just in front of me plowed into a moose. Hmm. Um, which was a messy scene all around. Like the car was wrecked and the moose was wrecked. Um, so yeah, beautiful, but you know, beautiful wild country all the way up. There's not really anything there except mountains and water and trees and, uh, you know, stop and fill the car up with supplies in Cornerbrook, the metropolis. That's the second biggest city in Newfoundland, 23,000 people. Jeez. And, uh, fill her up with, uh, make, make the requisite stops to get groceries and booze and a salmon license and. And then, uh, then, and then roll in the driveway. So, yeah, that's the, that's the, so it's an, I, but I like, you know, I, I kind of, I think rituals are kind of important. They, they, the way you kind of set your, reset your clock every year, You're, you know, this way we all have different ones. Yeah. And for me, this is, this is kind of where I reset my clock. So now what do you do? You're, how long, well, how long are you there? It's mid June. When will you make it back? To, uh, yeah, so nor- the hammer. Normally, normally I'm not here till the end of June, and I would, and I leave the end of August. This year I'm mid June because of this, so I will be doing my Toronto radio show because with this magnificent technology we now have. Yes, I'm gonna so do, good. I'm gonna do a fair bit of the old radio. Although uh, drive time from Ontario turns into uh, six thirty to eight thirty at night here. It's drinking um, time. So I'll do a fair. <laughs> Yeah, do a fair bit of that. Uh, half I don't in, uh, half in the bag. Don't have a book to write this summer. I'm I'm book free for the first time in a couple of years. I'll so. tell you what, Mano. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't win the Cy Young, they can go themselves. <laughs> yeah, Stephen, are you yeah, okay? Yeah, no. I'm fine. What is it? Is, is, this, <laughs> is this thing on? 
<laughs> bottles of screech yeah. rolling around on the floor. Yeah, might have to, might have to watch that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's it. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna then I'm gonna fish and I'm gonna, you know, see all my pals out here and uh, my wife will turn up at some point. I think, as far as I know, and um, yeah, off off we go for the for the for the summer. And then we have our festivals out here that we that I'm part of. The, the, couple of we have a comedy festival in july and then the big writers festival with music in in august so that those are fun um it's pretty social it's a pretty social place so was the woody point event on hiatus for a I was couple gonna of years say, you got two covids right you know yeah no in 2020 we did a virtual we actually but we had people here performing in the but we did a kind of a zoom version and last year we did it uh, we, we, did, we didn't do anything in july but in august we had a live event half capacity and and did it for real so yeah, we're kind of proud that we kept it going. It, was, it wasn't easy, you know. Um, I'll tell you, and some crazy like like this is you're trying to do a virtual festival in a place where the you know the internet service is kind of is kind of iffy. Uh, it was a big they like they literally had to rig an antenna up on the top of the theater to connect with a a tower a, a cell tower that's on the other side of the bay. Like you can see it on a hill, but it's a long way away. So it was like string, you know, tin cans with string. Like that's how they, the folks here managed to, and I wasn't here. I was, I was stated, I was in Hamilton. My virtual part of it was, I, I couldn't come out in 2020. But yeah, but last year we got people back in the theater. And then this year, yeah, full capacity and it's going to be great. I can't wait to see the place filled. It's a, it's a, it's a great little building. It's a, it's an old orange lodge that was built in uh, 1906 and, and then restored as a, as a, as a performance space. And, it's it's got a great vibe, and we you know we I, we've talked about the some of the people we've had play here over the years. You know, Gord Downey and uh, Bruce Coburn and Joel Plaskett and uh, Sarah Harmer. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, like and all kinds of great writers. So it's it's some pretty amazing folks have played in a little two hundred seat room in rural Newfoundland. So who goes about? And I've asked you this before. Who goes about booking all of the writers and musicians? Because this is not this is no longer just a small little event. It's it takes some work here. Yes. Uh, yeah. And we've been, this is our 19th year. So we've been going for a while. Uh, the, the short answer to your question is me. Really? <laughs> yes. What's well, the long answer? Yeah, Stephen I'm Brunt? Uh, well, no, cause, cause, honestly, <laughs> yeah. how many, cause I'm just looking and I'm guessing, cause it's saying here, August 16th, 21st, I'm looking at the website, uh, among the uh, musician, Tom Wilson, is that this year? Like coming up yep. or really? Yep. He's coming up. Yep. Tom's Tom's a pal of mine. I, like it helps, you know. Sometimes it's people you know. So uh, sure, yeah. you know, and Tom's a fellow Hamiltonian. Uh, we got Martha Wainwright this year, who's going to be awesome, and William Prince. And uh, it's it, yeah, no, it's an interesting process. I've kind of learned it over the years. It's it's not it's a little easier with writers because you know you interact with the publishers and and writers like to come here. It's a, it's a nice place to come. So we've had any, anybody you can name in terms of Canadian literature has been here. You know the the Atwoods and the Ondaches and. Alistair McLeod's and all of those people have read here, but you know we also had Richard Ford and Louis de Bernier and some internationals. Uh, but on the music side, you know, like there's a financial uh, discussion to be had because it's a 200 seat room. So if you're going to get people, you know, you're going to get people who normally play much bigger rooms for much more money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if I'm going to talk to Jim Cuddy or Bruce Coburn or those kind of people and say, hey, we'd like you to come play our little theater, they have to want to do it. So word of mouth helps, and other musicians talking. Did I ever tell you? I ever tell you Bruce Coburn's story? I, I will tell you. I'll indulge me on this one because yeah. this is this is kind of fun. Um, his uh, so Bruce Coburn 
was is was managed for years and is managed for years by a guy named Bernie Finkelstein, who's like one of the icons of Canadian music history. And uh, I had no idea how to get hold of Bruce Coburn, so I but I found Bernie's uh, Bernie Finkelstein's company on the internet and found a phone number, and I phoned and left a message saying, "Hey, you don't know me." Um, but I run this festival in a place you've never heard of, and I don't know what Bruce Coburn's doing these <laughs> days. But would he would he like would he like to play it? Maybe I, you know. Then hung up, and that was it. And I was in the airport in Miami, flying somewhere, and my phone rang, and it was and it was Bernie, and he said, "Yeah, I got your message." Um, he said, "You know, Bruce is living in San Francisco these days. Um, he he just, you know, he's he's not really that interested in touring particularly, and it's not about money for him. He just wants to have." experiences and this sounds like something he might do so i'll see i'll get back to you and he called me back a little while later and said okay here's the deal um bruce is gonna he's gonna fly himself and his uh his kind of uh, stage manager like his, his his sound guy so back of the house guy um and his three-year-old daughter you cannot look up how old bruce is um right. he's obviously doing okay and and the daughter's nanny from San Francisco to your festival, and he'll cover the tab. And, uh, you know, you guys pay him what, you know, the, the fee that you offered. That's fine. And uh, he just wants to come out and do it. So that's how we got Bruce Coburn to come and play in a 200-seat room in Newfoundland, essentially on his own hook, yeah. on his own tab. And he was, you know, he was great. He's very, he's kind of a shy guy, it turns out, and kind of keeps to himself. But we got him a house to live in, and his his kid was happy, and his nanny was happy, and... uh yeah it was it was that so that's that's how it has to happen sometimes you know like it and sometimes it takes some years like you know i worked on the gord downey thing for three or four years before it panned out it you know you, you it's it's a bunch of conversations if it was straight up you know how much money do you want and yeah, uh, yeah. you know if they just kind of quoted their normal rate it would be a very short conversation yeah you you, you gotta want to be there because it takes a bit yeah. to get there you gotta want it and that's that's what you want i see rick mercer going this year Oh yeah, great It'll be, guy, yeah, right? That's, yeah, Rick's, and he's he's fun, you know, and he's obviously this this is home for him, so he's very popular out here. Um, yeah, no, we've got like we have, it's a it's a cool lineup, and we're you know we sell out the tickets go on sale in early May usually. A lot of stuff sells out within half an hour. So it's, there's you know it's a small room, high demand. Um, scarcity is you know scarcity is a good marketing tool, but uh, you know like ever since the we did the first one 19 years ago, we had no clue what we were doing. Uh, people have shown up, and, and, it's, and it's a great audience. We'll pivot a little bit to, I guess, sports, um, for, okay, for whatever sure. it's worth. I asked Pinder earlier, and I don't know, what's, is there a date, is there a mile marker where Cy Young talk becomes legit? Because uh, certain fan bases, certain teams, media that covers certain teams, they will start talking about Cy Young, Cy Young type of performance, a Cy Young type. Uh, when should the league, when do on mass? Do you look at it and say, yeah, that that's legitimate performance and numbers and body of work that you can be in a Cy Young consideration? Because Alec Manoa's well, got to be tippy toeing close to it. Oh God, yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Um, like sixty games is one of those kind of uh, landmarks that a lot of people in baseball talk about that you kind of know what you're dealing with after sixty games in terms of a team. So I think that might apply to individuals. The the problem with pitchers and is that you know that performances can you know, be all altered dramatically over the course of a season or they can get hurt or there's all kinds of stuff. So, you know, you look at Yusei Kikuchi, who's pitching for the Jays today, like he was an all-star last year and then was not an all-star in the second half. 
So that it's it's a little risky, but look, Manoa has he's he's been absolutely and utterly consistent and absolutely and utterly terrific this year. Like there's not you can't poke any holes in his performance. It's he just goes out every five days and gives you a quality start and and dominates. It's 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 stunning if you look at how how few games that guy has pitched as a professional before he arrived last year and what he's what he's doing now and he's he's a, you know, a real like you know what like a stopper in a rotation is the guy that stops the slide that where a team's going badly you know if that when this guy's turn comes up he's going to give you a quality start and he's going to keep you in a game like he's that he's he's that and he's he's just a kid so yes he's he's a hundred percent in that conversation right now. So, you know, with Justin Verlander, who has somewhat more of a track record and, you know, Nestor Cortez, who's been a bit of a surprise this year, but uh, uh, yeah, I, there's not, you, you can't, you know, there's no, you can't pick apart Alec Manoa's numbers or, you know, with the eye test and find anything that's going to tell you that he has, that he hasn't been, you know, if not the best starting pitcher in the American league, one of the best three. Pinder brought it up yesterday, and it is an interesting point. You remember, you go back to the Edwin Encarnacion walk-off homer against the Orioles. Mm-hmm. 2016. Right? And then it was downturn for both teams, kind of from that point on. And one team has resurrected itself, and the other continues to kind of stumble around. This week, we heard, I guess there's a bit of, what, family infighting with uh, what the Angelos family with Baltimore, yeah. they're going to stay in Baltimore. They're telling they're, everyone. I didn't know there was. Oh, yeah, that's no always idea. good when out of the blue you you reassert your you know commitment to the market. Ooh, but it's taken well, a, it's, it's, it's taken it's, a while with little success for Baltimore, who continue to be uh, in in pretty rough shape. You know, it's a great point, and it's such a great point that after you brought it up yesterday, our own Shai Davidi wrote about it for Sportsnet.ca after the game last night. So there you go. You're ahead of them, but it's a good piece, and it, it'll give you all the all the deets about it. But that's you know, and and like I I've been um like you know I've been kind of sticking up for this front office for a long time, even when they were getting a lot of knee jerk heat because they weren't Alex Anthopoulos, and you know I say that with great affectionate admiration for Alex. He did a really great job, especially at the end. Uh, but they replaced a very popular guy, and um, it was. They, they, you know, they couldn't do anything right in a lot of people's minds. But if you look at what's happened here, yeah, so they were – in 2016, they had essentially the same record as Baltimore in the same place and beat Baltimore in extra innings in a wild card game because Buck Walter wouldn't use his closer, <clears throat> among other reasons. Um, look at what's happened since then. And, you know, the Jays had an older roster, right, that they – that roster had to be torn down. It was not sustainable. They tried one year too many in 2017. They, but, you know, there's – you're not sure, you know, if they started shipping guys out of town and right after the 2016 season, they might have had a fan revolt. But they, you know, they kept Bautista and they, you know, uh, stuck with Donaldson and um, the, the, the team just got older and kind of fell apart. And, uh, but if you look at their draft record, if you look at their international signing record and you look at the trades that they've made to build this team, you can go right through that roster and say, how did these guys get here? Uh this, they, there were a couple of 90-plus lost seasons, but no 100-loss seasons. And they were back in the playoffs in, you know, obviously a weird year in 2020, but they were in the postseason in 2020. They were one game out last year. This year, they're a lock to be in the postseason and have a team that can contend for a World Series. Um, the, you know, the, the Houston teardown that finally got them a World Series, how many 100-loss seasons in a row did they play? Oh, it was awful. Like, you know, three and still, four years, yeah. Yeah, the Philadelphia Phillies, you know, spent a ton of money endlessly trying to get back. They're still not there. 
there, you know, there's lots of bad organizations and good organizations that struggle with with the rebuild. And but the notion that you could have kind of a little two year bounce and then be right back and have young players from your own system driving it, um, yeah, that's 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 the sign of a great organization. They have drafted really really well. They have you know the international signings, the Kirks and the Guriels, and they like not necessarily guys who are obvious. Like obviously, Vladdy was signed by the previous administration. And everybody knew what he was when he was 16. And the Jays built that relationship, and they paid him a whole lot of money. But, you know, Alejandro Kirk is a guy that they weren't even – they were in Tijuana to watch somebody else, and they said, who's the little fat guy who <laughs> keeps hitting line drives? Uh, the, you know, the trade that brought in Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, that, you know, and, and the, the deal for Barrios, you know, when you start wheeling some of your prospects to get Barrios, drafting Alec Manoa. How about Espinel for uh, what two months of Steve Pierce? Unbelievable for two months now. Yeah, Steve Pierce was a World Series MVP, but it was a heck of a deal. Um, but not a guy, you know. Again, not a guy who, when when that deal was made, nobody was excited about San Diego Espinel as a prospect. So, yeah, you like they deserve a ton of credit, and the the beauty of it is it, it should be sustainable. Um, and they've also, you know, they've also gone out and spent serious money because they have resources but you know first of all the Ryu deal which you know the last we knew the back end of it might not be pretty but it was very important symbolically then you know getting Springer um like Gosman extending Barrios Gosman you know Gosman for Ray like that that uh switching you know well getting Ray rehabilitating Ray he gets a Cy Young and then you know pivoting to get Gosman this last offseason you know, look, there have been there, there are going to be some things that blow up on you. Um, you know, maybe Austin Martin is going to maybe he pans out for the Twins. I don't know. And they, you know, I believe me, there's more of that going to come because it's like right, like off the off the hop here, they're going to have to deal one of these catchers. But you know, because because Gabriel Moreno, another international signing, looks like he's ready to play in the big leagues. Well, and I wanted to ask you, what were uh, the what are the early returns? Everyone gets excited, but uh, kid comes up. What uh, what were the impressions there? Everybody, I think the the biggest takeaway is how he looks behind the plate. That he looks really comfortable. That throw he made, you know, the throw to second base he made was a thing of beauty. He's really athletic. He can run. You know, running down to first base, he you know did get his first hit. But you know, he's a guy who's yeah, he'll hit. He's you know, the power may take a little while to come, but you know, in most in many an organization, he would be, you know, they'd he'd be he'd be starting you know two games out of out of every five at least. But you know, they're, when Jansen comes back, they're going to have a decision to make. My, you know, my guess is they'll probably send Moreno back down then, and then mm. just wait and see. The the thing that people rave about is his ability to throw out base runners, amongst all the other things. But that's what's truly elite. Apparently, the pop time—that's the amount of time it takes you to catch the ball, to stand up, and and throw. Like he's 98th percentile in early stuff. Now that we get sort of the the MLB stats, like there's some elite elite tools here, and it does remind you that. This was a guy that they plucked off the shortstop position and threw a pile of gear at. Yeah, yeah, converted him. And uh, you know, like there's, it's way more common for the conversion to go the other way, where you know you take a guy who's a catcher and, but and has a good bat, and you say, well, you know, he's not going to pan out. Just like Carlos Delgado, um, you know, who was a catcher, and they said, well, you know, if we if he catches, the the bat's not going to play necessarily, and maybe he's never going to be a great catcher. So let's find a position where we can hide him somewhere else because we want the bat like that's way more common but this guy you're right converted to catching you know also seems to be able to process the information required in that job which has gotten tougher you know and as there's more there's more data 
So yeah, no, like everything about him suggests that he's exactly as as built. Um, you know, great great problem to have. You know, prospect depth, or organizational depth, positional depth. You know, like like they, look, the team's not perfect right now. Like they're going to need, they still need a left-handed bat. Um, they'll need some bullpen arms. But you know, like ro- that rotation, as long as it stays healthy, you know, like we you know you don't even, you never talk about a guy like Ross Stripling, but you know that was another nice piece of business. You know, going out and 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 picking him up because you know he's he can do a lot of different stuff. But you know, right now he he looks like a guy who is an absolutely legitimate. You know, uh, you know, not even a back of the rota- rotation piece. He's better than that. His last uh, three appearances, I believe, he's got two wins and a save, <laughs> including what a, a one hit yes. performance. <laughs> like, talk about a bit of everything. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, he's you know he's very useful to have. You know, like this. So you don't know what's going to happen with Ryu. God knows. Um, and Kikuchi is a work in progress. We'll see today. And there isn't the wheel. You know, the one thing they don't have right now is a a young starter at AAA kind of knocking on the door. So if they have to, for one reason or another, have to tap their starting, test their starting pitching depth, uh, that could be challenging because most of their really exciting arms are in the low minors. Uh, but you know, so far, the the this you know the rotation's been you know there's Barrios has had some blips and. You know, Gossman sort of had some blips, um, but uh, you know, I take I take their their first three over just about anybody in baseball. So, go ahead. Well, I just I noted that the sun did come up today in the in the in the east, and it will set in the west. And Julian Merriweather did leave the game with an injury last night. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Feel for I this saw guy that too. Yeah, I yeah I don't the puzzle. Of, I I've kind of I, I you know like I I feel for the guy. I don't I don't know because even when he's pitched this year. Like that guy we saw briefly uh, when against last New year. York at the beginning of the year, yeah, yeah, he's never come back. No, and I don't know what I don't know what that's about. I don't know if that's physical or if it's something else, but um, that's what everybody was excited about. And you know, even when he's pitched, he he's been pretty hittable. So I, I don't know I don't know what they're going to do there. Uh, it's, but it's, yeah, what did that sound like? It sounds like what an o- oblique strain is what it sounds like, doesn't it? Which, it sure does. Yeah, the way he was we, moving too. Oblique strain. The, yeah, the most mysterious of all injuries, which seems to take forever to heal, so we may not see him for a while. I'm waiting for you to do an essay on the oblique, because it feels like we talk about it a lot. <laughs> and then the, it, what? So what is it about the oblique? Let's really get into ah, it. The I, oblique. I, I wait. I wait for it. I look forward to it. Pitch it to uh, Bart or whoever you talk to there at Sportsnet. Uh, I'll see. What, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Maybe yeah. you'll have to. Uh, first, yeah. my first, the first part of it would, would be. I'll have to answer the question about where it is. Yeah, you'll have to go to Fiji or something. Yeah, make, I think get so. some fishing in yes. while you're there, and that because that's that's a big oblique area. Land, yeah, land of obliques. That's, that's what they say. Nice. Yeah, land of a thousand the obliques. Old oblique belt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> have a good day. Enjoy your show this afternoon. We'll be listening. All right. See you, boys. See you, buddy. There's Stephen Brunt. With Sportsnet, we are uh, more than halfway through our number two. We will uh, get into a little bit of hockey chatter when we come back. Rumor mill starting to heat up a little bit. Oh, yeah. Draft is coming. A lot of the teams that aren't the Lightning and the Avs, they've been sitting around for a while. They've Waiting. been twiddling their thumbs. What can we do? Are there some trades? Who are we drafting? What are we doing? Do we trade picks? Do we have picks? What are we doing? It's starting to heat up a little bit. So we'll talk about that and get you ready for, you know, we'll dip our toe in. To, uh, to game one. I said earlier there was a number, a big number. I got looking this morning. It's, big number. It's interesting. It doesn't mean anything, mm. which is like most of the things I bring to the table, but it's something we'll talk about when we come back. Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
Sundry Golf Club, the title sponsor of the program. Unforgettable countryside golf, just a short drive from the city. 18 holes, tranquil golf nestled right in the breadbasket of central Alberta. 12 game packs available starting at $6.99 per person. Or check out stay and play packages starting at $1.89 per person, double occupancy. Get out of the city. And on to the green, experience Sundry Golf Club. Book tee times now at sundrygolf.com. That's sundrygolf.com. Mm. Boomer Pinder. Plug de ma. Everybody's here. Staying dry. Uh, I realize I don't have a rain jacket. I, I don't know where umbrellas are located. I have no footwear for this. I'm completely not ready to move to Vancouver. I didn't know you were. I'm not. I'm just saying, oh. like, if I had to do that, I would need to revamp my entire life. Well, I think you'd be capable of that, though. It'd be like if you're... I mean, you could probably do that in an hour with a credit card, but I'm just saying I don't have any of that when I wake up this morning and see this crap. Yeah. You know, I'm going to use I'm going to use that as kind of a segue. It's, oh, it's oh, not a great one, oh. but I'm going to use it. Okay, yeah. But first, I'm going to play you, uh, play you this clip. We had to leave Bernier in the net because Gibson had diarrhea and had flu all day. So it kind of left him hanging high and dry. Except, yeah. It's not dry. The, uh, so Gibson had diarrhea. So John Gibson, if he is, in fact, dealt out of Anaheim, which is the rumor that's making the rounds. Second and, summer in a row. And shows up in Edmonton. He would have to revamp his wardrobe as well. Get, yes. Get some warmer clothing, some winter coats and mm-hmm. boots and mitts. Get some Uggs, those boots, the really yeah. comfy and cozy ones. It is at least the. It feels like John Gibson has been here before a, a lot. John Gibson, the report suggesting that he is open to being dealt, and the belief is he's told the Ducks, yeah, I, okay. "I'd be, uh, I'd be fine." You'd if be that, okay with that. So where does that start? Is it the team approaching him? Does he approach the team? Is it, there's a lot in well, there? His name was floated a bunch last summer. It wasn't like front of the rumor mill, but it was like there was enough people saying. John Gibson used to be considered untouchable. He might be touchable now. Right. And then you run into this year, which was probably a really crappy one, not just for him, but for the team. They unload pieces of the uh, core in Raquel, Lindholm, uh, Getzlaff will retire. I think it's pretty clear what's going on there. They're handing things over to the youth, and I don't know that that is a playoff team in in the short term here. And then also, we've had Jeff Glass on. He's a goalie coach for their AHL affiliate, the San Diego Gulls, and he's raving about Lucas Dostal, young netminder they have in the system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for both sides, it's probably a change of scenery,ville. It felt like for a long time, John Gibson, one of the finest young goalies in the game, mm-hmm. not to say he isn't, he was on a, a bad team this last year. Yeah, we're, but three we, can, point, we can look beyond that. Yeah, so. a 3.19 goals against, the 904 save percentage, one shutout. You couple that with his cap hit, which is 6.4 million for five more years. Submit there. So, it, yeah, it, it's a lot. And if you're getting a a number one, that's number one money for sure at 6.4. And he's been that in his career. It's just the last few years have been the roughest of his career. He, he was... I think probably for a lot of years would have been the top American netminder, and now I don't know that he cracks a international team with the U.S. with Hellebuck and others that all of a sudden are tending to crease for that country. It's 
Uh, he's not been at his best, but he's still young, right? This isn't like a 34-year-old. 28. This guy's a decade younger yeah. than Mike Smith, as crazy as that sounds, right? Like more than that. How does Mike Smith? Well, just that, you know, you there's it? lots of career left. So, you know, I guess what the, the challenge will be is d- like dive into your scouting data, if you believe in it or not, your goalie experts and say, what's happened here? Because I don't know where you'd place Anthony Stolarz on the hierarchy of NHL goalies. Like probably a guy that clears waivers most years, or you know comes in and is a number three organizationally, maybe a two. That guy will played him in the same environment last year. Yeah, that's and, not good. And I think what it's maybe not the biggest part of it, but I think there's a few teams, and we're seeing it already. They're going to be just fine being bad this year. Yep. With what 100%. The, the draft is believed to be strong, you've got a oh, stud at the top of Bedard it. Bedard at the top, yeah. What's in terms of development and all that? One more year to to stink and maybe win a, a lottery and get a top pick? Why not? And I feel like the Ducks would be in that spot. They have Cam Fowler. He is twenty. He's thirty now. Four more years at six and a half. Gibson twenty eight. Five years at six point four. But they, as you mentioned, they offloaded Raquel. They don't have anybody up front. Lots of kids, right? You got Troy Terry. You got um, Zegris. You've got Sonny Milano. Max it's Jones, Sam. Like, there's a ton Comtois, of kids. And there's not, a bunch of kids. And they may not all translate into full-time NHLers, top nine guys. But still, you're you're young. Very young. And without trying, you could be in the bottom of the league. So what I had sort of caught wind of last year was that the ask was very high for John Gibson. I don't know that after a second or arguably even a third rough year in a row that the ask could be as high. Which is, uh, we talk about it all the time. Goal Teams that don't have goaltending, how do you get it? If If teams have it, they're not giving it up. You have to go to free agency and overspend and all of this. Could this be a case where... If you're a team that doesn't have a bona fide number one, Gibson could come there and be that for them. And it it just automatically connects to the Edmonton Oilers. Yep. Now you got to be able to get the cap and the, the, that all has to work out. Yeah, you just but you're, trade Evan Bouchard and Puyarvi and your first and get it done. Because we know where the Oilers are at. They <laughs> went to the third round with, gosh, how, how did they do it, right? Flyers got to the final with, Leighton, and uh, how do you do it? Well, they could have used a few more saves along the way. They wouldn't have got swept if they had them, right? You should be able to close out your your leads you had against Colorado. They got to round three with Mike Smith, and I don't know that Gibson is is a top 10 goaltender. But he has been. But he has been. And, And so he's 28, you said. Like, where was Jacob Markstrom at age 28? Like, very different trajectories, right? Like, Markstrom was the best goalie outside the NHL forever, and then never. It felt like it was never going to happen for him. He cleared waivers. He went to Utica. He was on a second organization and cleared waivers, and then he turns into, in his very late 20s, a guy that's getting Vesna votes and, you know, was a finalist this year, was stellar for the Canucks' final year there in the bubble. Like, it, it, it took a while. And I know mm-hmm. Gibson on the other side – looked like one of the top five goalies in the league from maybe ages 22 to 25. But, like, he's not old at all. Like, Jacob Markstrom hadn't played a playoff game in his career at the age John Gibson's at right now. I think. Well, I'm just looking here. He's played 800 NHL games. 811 NHL games. That's a ton. So, 
I just look at it if you're if you're Edmonton, and if it costs, he's got more than double Markstrom's games, and he's younger than him. Does the ask come down if you're the Ducks? I think it does. If you put all of that in, why do you need? If you've got a young goalie in your system that you believe is is an up and comer, and you're okay being bad this year, and you can shed six point four, and maybe add another prospect in some regard. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know necessarily that it's a commitment to be bad. Like they didn't get good goaltending from them. Well, I guess all I'm saying is they're not in it if, to win it next year anyway. If right? you're That's Verbeek, the point. If you're GM Pat Verbeek, you don't care about well, it's going to be a drop off this year. You don't care because it's about where you are in four or five years from now. And if you're the Oilers, is there a better option by way of free agency or trade? He might be the guy you've been waiting well, years to get. If he can find the guy from four years ago, that's the best guy available. And we talk about all the time, you more than you and the dice roll at the best of times. It's voodoo. Goaltending's voodoo. And of all the gambles that you could be making, that doesn't feel like a terrible one. Now it's five years at 6.4. You're in. If you're in the John Gibson business, mm. you're in it. Yeah, and it's not – I don't think this looks like Matt Murray going to Ottawa. There was a lot of red flags all around that thing. This this doesn't feel like – like, and it's also a very Edmonton-y thing. Like when, when Ken Holland steps to the podium and people say, hey, so uh, when you look at the numbers, like what, what are you seeing with Duncan Keith that says he can still be an effective defender? And he gets super defensive and talks about the NHL records and almanac book. Well, if you look at the records in Almanac book, John Gibson is an absolute floor at move for the Oilers. He's, he, he's a decade younger than some of these other cats they brought mm-hmm. in. He's had some really, really good years. So if you're, if you're Ken Holland, are you, are you working to see how far you can get to see if you can make this happen? Well, I'm not Ken Holland. I think Ken, this is the type of move Ken Holland would make, though, yes. Describe. I mean, why? 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 Because it's an established number one, and it's he's got a, a very strong track record in the in in the league, albeit a while ago. It's exactly what Duncan Keith was, a guy that had a strong track record, well, track record a while ago. Keith's about a decade old, right? Like so, so even more a floor at move. You've got a goaltender that's locked in that has been elite for no, multiple okay, years so, in the league. But I think this is a move the Oilers absolutely look over. You criticized the you didn't like the Keith move. You criticized it. Yeah, and now, and, and so now you're putting this in the same category. So no, what no, I'm, no, asking, I'm saying so if you, they're willing to do that, they're absolutely willing to do this. This is so, a ways yourself than that. Well don't don't take Keith out of it. Okay. So I'm I'm what I'm saying is that GMs have the 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 what the what they the way they think and the way they do business, go look at the moves they make and that'll tell you the type of moves they make. Absolutely they'll be interested in John Gibson. I don't know that I would, but I also think it's really ballsy to do what Carolina does, which is say, we don't care. We'll outweigh the market. These guys are all voodoo. Like, they're right, but no one else has the balls to not have a plan and just let the market settle. Hasn't worked for them in the ultimate scheme uh, of things. Right, but but generally speaking, it has in the sense that they get above league average net mining. They pay way less than other teams on goalies, and they've won a bunch of rounds the last four or five years. Like they've been to an Easter Conference final, they've been in the second round, they've been in the first round. Like that's they're not a bad team. They're considered one of the best five to ten teams in the league almost every year, and they pay almost nothing for goaltending, and they always get better than average goaltending. They've said this position is too hard to project. We're not going to commit term and dollars like other teams are. Well, and that's fine. That's, and and the flip side is here in Calgary, you got really inconsistent goaltending for everyone not named Kiprasov since him, and they commit to Markstrom, and you had one whole hum year and one great year.
in two years out of a six-year deal. They were willing to make a commitment at a what I think is a pretty good dollar. It's not Bobrovsky's top-of-the-market 10. It's six. It was a lower cap year. It was a nice little window to buy in at theoretical, theoretical top-of-the-market goaltender. Six million bucks for a guy that's getting Vesna votes. That's a, That was something the Flames are willing to do. Carolina doesn't do that, right? And so if you're the Oilers and your window is now, John Gibson's got to be one of the things they explore. Yeah. I don't think, if I'm Ken Holland, I don't want another year of, well, let's, let's, let's pinch our pennies and roll the dice with another goaltender because yeah, it's Smith, voodoo. Smith and Skinner's not going to be, what do you know you have out of those two? Like, what's guaranteed with those two? Zero. It, it could work, but those are very, very uncertain outcomes. At least with someone that's been a starter for like almost a decade, there's a track record of here's what we can expect. And you you need to do something, and I don't know that I want to – I'll sleep better at night knowing that if I, I at least took a gamble on somebody who's a, who could be an established guy that can be a game a game changer for you. If he gets back to who he was, it's an absolute heist. The concern would be he was one of the worst goalies in the league this year. In a bad environment. Bad so, like, environment. how much is that? So, like, Oliver Ekman Larson, another move, one of my favorite GMs made last offseason. Um, coming off rough years. How much of that is just not being into it? Team sucks. I've been here too long. I need to get out of here. There was some of that Noel. He had a better year this year. Nowhere near what they're paying him, even after the Coyotes ate like a million and a quarter there. And it might be the same with Gibson. He'll be better than last year, but he still might not be worth that kind of commitment. I don't know. If you're going UFA route, Darcy Kemper atop the list with 37 wins. Herbeg. You were in the Kemper sweepstakes a year ago. Lost out. Uh, Jack Campbell is a free agent in Toronto. No, Again, that's he's had pretty good two, three years, but very, very volatile results. Like We were talking about him as a Vesna finalist with Woodley in December, and it was like they were starting guys we'd never heard of out of the A, and he was dealing with mysterious injuries. Like Talk about ups and downs for yeah. Campbell. He, when he was, remember, the first, what, third of the season? He was atop the goalie categories and wins, save percentage goals against. It was just, he was having an unbelievable start to the season. Yeah, he's a free agent, as you noted, and then it's like, okay, who's available in trade? Like, it, little things like, okay. Well, I'll just go a little bit further on sure, UFA. So, Darcy Kemper, Jack Campbell, Marc-Andre Fleury, Craig Anderson, Scott Wedgwood, mm. Braden Holtby is up again. Craig Anderson's like 40. I know. I'm just going, these are, Craig Anderson, he had 17 wins. I'm just going by the top guys in terms of victories from this past season. It's not a lot. Casey DeSmith, Thomas Grice. Again, 36, injury issues. So I don't know that you would any of maybe Campbell, maybe Kemper. I don't think Flurry, maybe Flurry goes. We don't know. It's yep. not like but do do you do you feel like you're better off with any of those guys than you would be if you paid to get John Gibson? Now you're mm. not paying to give up, That's but you it. need to move money out anyway. I wonder if there's a Pugliarvi plus first type of a deal. If they have the season they're supposed to have, it's going to be a late first rounder, right? I just don't. If I'm the coach, if I'm the GM, I don't want to have another year of sitting in a room with Connor McDavid, shrugging my shoulders and saying, "Sorry, man, I, I wish we could have got, gotten more saves." They've had McDavid for seven years, and twice they've gotten 
to the second round or beyond, right? Like it's been okay. We're now into the second half of his deal. No more bleeping around. You've frittered away a lot of his prime of this contract. It's an eight-year deal. There's four left. You've got to be all in. No point keeping your first for the next four years. Anything that can help a McDavid-led group here before his eight-year deal's up has to be done. And it's not a, oh, or he's going to ask out. No, it's, you got dry. Look what they did this year. You had two of the finest playoff performances in league history from Dreisaitl and McDavid. Yeah, they have to fall on their face for something like that to happen. This season was not that. What if their goaltending's really good? So we'll see. And and the one thing that no one's talked about, which is is allowed to happen but doesn't, you know, the goalie out there that's available that can alter your franchise for maybe a decade, and you got the team by the short and curlies, go offer sheet Jake Ottinger at a huge number. Like, we all, we all laugh because it's like, oh, man, offer sheets would be fun if they ever happened. But that's one that actually, like, they've got to pay Jason Robertson this summer. He just scored 42 goals, 41 goals. They've got huge money dedicated to Sagan and Ben. Klimberg's leaving. Haskinen's now on his big money portion of the deal. Like, they are vulnerable cap-wise. And if he is 90, 80% of what you saw in the postseason for Dallas this year, you've got a top 10 goalie in the league locked in forever. And what's four first-rounders for the Edmonton Oilers if you've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl? Those are all picks in the high 20s. If you got if Ottinger is, what do you think he is? Now it was a good two weeks, but that's what, for, <laughs> for team chaos. That's the move. I was going to say nobody was pinning their franchise hopes to Jake Ottinger two months ago. No, but good, when they goalie. took him in the top fifteen in round one, they kind of were in a way. It was just a long time ago. But uh, four one at what every I mean, level. What I mean is four first rounders. Yeah, no, you're all in if that's hundred percent, and that's why it's only a move a contender can make. So you would you would do four first. I'm not saying I would do that. I'm saying I would love the chaos of well, that. And yeah. you think I want that guy to go to Edmonton? Come on. Get the hell out of here. He's gonna go to the East. I don't know, man. No, it's not gonna happen. It's just be amazing. Watch Jim Nill's hair get set on fire and try to move guys around and Robertson needs a deal. We never see that crap though. Instead it's wimpy offer sheets like ones that are easily matched for Sebastian Aho. Nice. You know, uh, Sometimes timing, you know, it's all about timing, being in the right place at the right time. We're a dollar late and a, and a, and a buck short. How does that work? Um, yesterday, we had Al Morganti on the show. That was yesterday, right? We had Al on from Philadelphia. No, we weren't here on Sunday, so I think it's probably yeah. yesterday. Al Morganti yesterday was on. It was Sportsnet Today after, whatever day that is. Al Morganti today has been announced as an entrant to the Hockey Hall of Fame. He is the 2022 recipient of the Elmer Ferguson Memorial Award for Excellence in Hockey Journalism. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He's going to the Hall. Isn't that great? Yeah. Bill Clement will receive the Foster Hewitt Memorial Award for Outstanding Contributions as a Hockey Broadcaster. There's a guy in this Big day town. For Billy. You know what? You know what happens now that you're you're in the Hall. You get to call players pissy. Nice. No. I don't know if that's hmm? the case. Hmm. Morganti. Awesome. Love that guy. Where is it here? Currently a co-host on the WHIP Sports Radio Morning Show in Philly. Morganti provides pre- and post-game analysis for NBC Sports in Philadelphia. Covered international sporting events around the world. Began his journalism career at the Boston Globe. 
One of the uh, his original voice and passion for hockey led to beat writer jobs at the Atlanta Constitution covering the Flames, and of course the Philadelphia Inquirer covering the Flyers. And yes, Bill Clement, as a player, won cups and has covered a bunch of them in his career. Oh, nice. Not nice. I mean, I guess, you know, when you get to the hall, we'll celebrate you. I used to work at the hall, and I watched old men break down and cry when they saw the cup, but I was making minimum wage and spending half, like, 20 hours a week there. That's the only way I'm going to It's either paying admission or going back to a minimum wage gig. That's why you're bitter. Yeah, it's the Hall of Fame. No, it's great. I highly recommend. Good stuff. It's interesting, right? How often do they move stuff in and around? Like, because they have little exhibits. Well, they've got so much crap, so they got to rotate it through. But yeah, yeah, there's it's there's a lot. The main, the the big, uh, they play the hits, right? They know what people are there for. But there's also a lot of the corners and hallways and the lower level international hockey. That stuff, there's a ton of churn. The goalie mask stuff is pretty cool. All of it's great. They got virtual uh, games now. You shoot on goalies. They had the full Gretzky thing. When I was there, started, it was 2020, two years ago. Where do you keep all that stuff? Like, where, where is it like a, a, a cube van? You got U-Hauls no, full of them out back? Or? Probably just a big old warehouse to the floor below. Pretty Dusty great. old basement. Uh, Adnan Verk, he'll be in a hall. He's probably already in a hall of fame. We don't know it. Yeah, we've got to ask him which hall he's a part of. That's right. What you want to talk about coming up? And... Uh, I've been mentioning this number. We'll talk about the number when we come back. Sportsnet 960, the fan.